our mission from day one has been centered around Jesus' words in Matthew 28, where he said, go and make disciples. No matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, there's going to be some pressing in in your life. There's going to be some, some conversation that you're having with God that you haven't had before, and you're going to be taken to a different place. Can you imagine if everybody that calls Illuminate Community Church their church home, if they had that kind of conversation with God, it's the idea, God, what do you want to do in me? And then, God, what do you want to do through me? It was about five years ago, in fact, this is the actual place right around the corner. Our living room is where the church began. What was a group of about 20 of the most amazing people that you can imagine, and uh, what we now refer to as a dangerous prayer. And that prayer was, God, we want to get involved in something that's destined to fail unless you show up. People just gathered around on our couches and on our dining room chairs, and we just prayed together and laughed together and cried a little bit together and just laid out what we were feeling God was leading us to. It was never, hey, we have this building or we have this preacher, let's build a church um, uh, around that. It was always... God, we're being, we're being led, we're being compelled to uh, step out on our own, and we need you to show up in a big way or we're going to fail. We felt like we stepped off the edge with no safety net, and as soon as we did that, it was as if the, the hand of God just went, nope, I've got you covered. I know exactly what you need, and I know when you need it, and I'm going to give it to you. The response that we saw just initially was just an affirmation that I think people were hungry for for a work of of something new that I think God was doing here at Illuminate. To see God work in people's lives as he has done, to see people get saved, to see people get baptized, to see marriages get healed, addictions overcome. I'm just really thankful, you know, that God has given us the opportunity to um, do ministry in this way. One of the heartbeats of Illuminate is we are a gospel-centered church. We are always talking about Jesus. And then we're also unique in that we have an outreach focus that is a little bit gritty. Our dream and our people's desire to get involved and do these things is not small. It's big. This idea that we would be a gift to our city is something that we take very, very seriously. What we want them to say is, you know what, this church makes a difference in our community, and I'm glad that they're here. In light of uh, where God has brought us to this point, we do have some some certain limitations. And so we want to be able to take the lid off of those limitations. So right now we're bumping up against the ceiling, even in terms of the amount of people that we can fit here in our worship center. We don't want to just minister to the people that are in our doors now. We always want to make sure the doors are open and our arms are open for that person who feels lost. We want to reach people for the gospel. And um, we want to have an, an environment where Think of it as a no-judgment zone, where people know that once they set foot in here, they can feel comfortable, and they can allow the Spirit of God to move, work on their heart through the things that we're doing here. If you've been down the hallway at all on a Sunday morning, you know that it's feeling really crowded with the number of kids that we have in there, so we need more space. So imagine having designated space for our kids, not just for Sunday mornings, but so that they can have a spot where they can hang out and be together all during the week. We're also talking about increasing our outreach potential. We can do those kinds of things 
if we have a solid home base from which to send forth our people and to continue to be that lighthouse that we've always talked about being. To me, that's what the future holds, is giving us a permanent base to work from and see, see where God will take us out into the further reaches of this community, the further reaches of the state, the country, and the entire world. This is gonna be a journey of transformation for the entire church. It's a journey of becoming a disciple, understanding exactly what it is that God wants for us, and then stepping into it as a church family together. And I'm so excited that we get to do this together. Yeah, so when I, ah, some of those pictures, man, they get me. <laughs> They get me every time. Um, like I said in the video, this is a transformational journey for all of us, church. That has been my, my prayer. And so what I'm, what I'm going to be doing over the next few weeks is rolling out the future vision of the church, the vision that we as leadership, we believe where God is taking us into the future. And what began with, as you saw, uh, 20 people, about 20 people gathered in my living room five years ago, 20 of the most pioneering people you can imagine, real pioneers, has now, by God's grace, grown to over well over 1,000 men, women, and children that call Illuminate Community Church their home. Our five-year history has been marked by what we call only God moments, and there are many of them. I'll give you an example of just a few. When the church was just a couple months old, we knew we needed more space. We were outgrowing my living room, but we didn't know where we were going to be, and so we began to pray, God, what's next? What do you have for us? Where God guides, he provides. Where God guides, he provides. We didn't know what the answer to that question was going to be, but we began to pray. Shortly after that, I'm having lunch with a friend at a restaurant not too far from here. And a man approaches our table. He says, Jason? He recognized the sound of my voice. He said, what are you up to? I said, well, we're starting a church. And he said, that's amazing. He said, I'd love to help. What do you need? I said, I need a building. need a place for us to meet. He said, I have a building. Where do you want to be? I said, I would love to be off the 101 because that's easy access for people all over the valley. On Sunday mornings, traffic isn't too gnarly. Want to be off the 101. He says, I have a building off the 101. I'm in my car. I'm driving behind him. I'm freaking out. I'm on the phone with my wife, Jill, going, you're not going to believe what just happened. Just pray. Just pray. I don't know what God's doing, but he's doing something. That building was on the other side of the 101, not far from here, close to the ice den, and that's where we met when the church was maybe three months old. We, we knew we needed space. We didn't know what God was going to provide, and so it was an only God moment. However, that building was being sold. We didn't know where we were going to go next. So, church family, let's pray. Let's pray and see how God is going to answer this prayer. We met in that building for a couple months. It sold shortly before that. Jamie Rasmussen, lead pastor at Scottsdale Bible Church, reached out to me. He said, Jason, what are you up to? I said, starting a church, brother. He said, that's great. He said, uh, how can we help? I said, Jamie, I need a building. I need a place to meet. 
He said, we have a building and it's off the 101. You interested? I said, let's go. I'm in my car, I'm driving behind him. I'm on the phone with Jill again going, hey, listen, another only God moment. Not sure what's gonna happen, but just pray, pray. That was this building here. He said, we use it Sunday through the week, Sunday mornings we meet through the week, but it's yours on Saturday nights. So for 18 months, we met here on Saturday nights. We had to flip this building over real quick. We had it for about two hours. Had to turn everything back over. Amazing pioneering people that believed in what God was doing in this new work. And then by God's grace, he added to our numbers. The congregation began to grow, and we entered into an agreement with Scottsdale Bible whereby we would take over their lease. So after a year and a half on Saturday nights, we took over their lease, and for the last three and a half years or so, we've been here on Sunday mornings. During this time, God continued to give us favor, and he continued to draw people to us. As I mentioned for the last few weeks, as of last Tuesday uh, at 11.50 a.m., the building became ours. Yeah, praise God. And so, the amazing, hey, let me just tell you, listen, where God guides, he provides. That is the history of our church. He gives us what we need when we need it. Every step of the way, that's exactly how it's been. We, we believe that, that God isn't going to change that either. We needed space. God gave it to us. This now helps us, gives us the opportunity to alleviate some of the growing pains that we've had. For example, as I mentioned, our children and our students, they need more breathing room. We need to accommodate the future growth that we believe God is going to bring us. If you've been down the hallways, especially during our, our busier times of the day, of the morning, it, it feels tight and congested. And for those of us that have been around a while, it's fun and it's energetic and it's exciting. But what we've learned is that for our visitors, our first timers, it's a bit intimidating. We want to have more space for our kids. We want to widen that hallway. Our student ministries, we want for them their own designated space that they can call their own. If you can imagine students coming together, not meeting just on Sundays, but at all times throughout the week, their own space. I poked my head into uh, the fifth and sixth grade room three weeks ago, and it reminded me of those, you know those little ant farms you used to buy as a kid with the ants crawling all over each other? I'm like, oh, okay, they need more space. They need it now. We have massive dreams for local outreach. You know, by God's grace, our, in, in December of 2015, we kind of had our, um, it, it was our first gathering. We didn't even call it a church service because I knew we weren't going to have our act together enough to be like, this is an official church service. It was, just it, was, it was a Christmas Eve gathering. And their very first gathering, we collected basic necessities for refugees and for orphans. By God's grace, today, we have seven international outreach partners, some of them in very difficult places, the West Bank, Palestine, and Cuba. We have nine local outreach partners. The mobile kitchen that served you all food last week here is in Sunny Slope right now with a team of people sharing the gospel and feeding the homeless and caring for them right now. 
This is just the beginning. This is just the tip of the iceberg for this church. We want to do more. Having this building, having all the space in this building allows us to further this vision of the church. Right now, we have an upstairs tenant. And while they pay us rent now, we did not, we did not purchase this building with the intent of becoming landlords. We need that space. We can move all of our offices as well as student ministries upstairs. There's about 18,000 square feet up there. It gives us the ability to expand our influence for God throughout the valley. Additionally, you may know that we have access to this lot next door on Sundays, but during the week, we don't. We're limited to the parking spaces that are right around this building. Our upstairs uh, tenant in their lease agreement, again, which we have inherited, they have the majority of the parking spaces around this building Monday through Friday. So when someone calls and they say, hey, you know, someone from the church has passed away or someone's getting married, we want to we be able to use our, our home church to facilitate that ministry. Our first question is, uh, how many are coming? Sorry, but how many are coming? Because you see, we're limited right now. So there's more that God has in store for us. Where God guides, he provides. We have been experiencing our largest attended services numerically over the last month than we ever have before outside of Christmas and Easter, especially in the second service. It's feeling really tight. Having this building allows us to expand the people that, is God, that God brings through our doorstep to accommodate those people. We can either put stadium seating in the back. This wall can be removed as well. We think we can get as much as 50% more capacity in that way too. What I'm telling you is this. I have no doubt that God wants to expand our influence because he's giving us the opportunity to, to do so. And let me just say this. The building is a, actually a very small thing. Let me say that again. The building's actually a very small thing because who does the work of expansion? You. It's God's people. And this has been the history of the church. I'm certain that God isn't going to let up. Now, from day one, we've been asking the question, what is God calling us to be? What is he calling us to do? Every church has a race that God is calling them to run. What is it for us? And I remember, again, five years ago, God impressing upon my heart, specifically Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest, the greatest sermon ever delivered is the Sermon on the, on the Mount. And I began to think, what would it be like to be part of a Christian community that actually lived out those kingdom principles? It would be something so special and people would be attracted and they would be drawn to it. And there was one particular part of that sermon that was especially inspirational. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says, you, 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 brothers and sisters, every single one of you, you're a light. In fact, you're not a small light. You are a light that the world needs. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way, exactly the same. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds 
and glorify not you, but give glory to your Father in heaven. This is where the name of the church comes from, illuminate. To illuminate means to shine the light on something. That's what we do. We shine the light on Jesus. The early team would talk about how, you know, we all kind of know each other. But you know, there's going to come a day when people come through our doors and we're going to be like, who's that? I don't recognize them. Let's go meet them. I think they're here for the first time. I've said before, we, we never fantasized about building a large church. We never fantasized about brick and mortar. What we dreamt about were people getting saved, people getting baptized, addictions overcome, marriages healed, restored. That's what we dreamt about. And by God's grace, we began to experience it as he was drawing people across our doorstep. This doesn't, you know, Satan always overplays his hand. Don't be fooled. He always overplays his hand. He makes you think that it's the worst case scenario no matter what you're going through. So when COVID hit and churches shut down, we were all kind of like, well, this will be interesting to see how God works through this. And now, post-COVID, we have more people wanting to be part of what we do than we've ever had before, not to mention the fact that our online community has absolutely skyrocketed. People beyond our walls, our prayer is, it's right there in big letters, guys, so we don't forget, beyond our walls. We couldn't have imagined how God was going to take the ministries of this church beyond our walls, and what did he use to do that? One of the things he used was a worldwide pandemic that everybody thought was so tragic. And God said, no, watch watch me use this to advance my kingdom, because that's what God does. So the first five years have been incredibly uh, amazing. That was chapter one, and we're very, very thankful for it. But what I want to share with you this morning is chapter two. God is giving us an expanded vision, new opportunities that will lead us into this next chapter. And so we're calling it bigger, smaller, deeper. And so this morning, I want to roll out what we mean when I use the word bigger, because right away, people are like, bigger, <gasps> just another church that's all about numbers. That's not our heart. That's not what we're talking about. When we use the word bigger, what we're talking about is just what I said before. We're talking about expanding our influence, expanding our influence for the kingdom of God in our city and beyond. Let me put it to you like this. We're serious about taking as many people as humanly spiritually, as God wants, as many people as possible to heaven with us. That's what we want. We want to take as many people to heaven with us as God will allow us to do. We want to take, you understand? We want to to take people from darkness to light, from death to life. That's why we're here. And so we're unapologetic in the way that that happens. Jesus himself said, John chapter 12, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I'm going to draw people to myself. You want to know why some churches don't grow? Because they don't lift up Jesus. That's why they're not growing. This is how, this is how you do it. It's, it's that there's no secret. What, you know what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. He said, you talk about my death, my burial, and my resurrection, people are going to be drawn to that because the cross is the centerpiece of the gospel. It is the magnetizing force of Christianity. It's God's love for the world 
in its purest form and greatest expression for everybody, regardless of race, socioeconomics, uh, your age group, your sex, whatever it is. The cross of Jesus transcends all that. At the foot of the cross, everybody is exposed as a sinner in need of a savior. At the cross, it's where God's salvation comes to those who believe. And the cross is also where judgment comes to those who don't believe. We're in the, we're in the business of partnering, partnering with God to make believers. So we preach the cross of Jesus. People have been and will continue to be drawn in. And this is why we want to accommodate all those whom God is bringing through our door. We just finished uh, a series in the book of Acts. And <clears throat> I probably did you a disservice in not setting up that series by telling you what comes before. The catalyst for the book of Acts is a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. It sets the stage for all that would come. He says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what do people, who do people say that I am? What are people thinking about me? See, Jesus is very interested in what people think about him because your eternal destination rides upon it. That's why it's a very good question. What you believe about Jesus determines everything about you. So it's the right question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus had two titles for himself, Son of Man, referring to his humanity, and Son of God, referring to his deity. Who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. He's like this Old Testament prophet. He comes from God. Others say you're like that great prophet Elijah. Others like the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah or, or one of the other prophets. Some say that you're, you're a good prophet, kind of in the vein of the others. But then Simon, Simon Peter replied, um, Jesus, you're asking me who, who I think you are. Let me tell you who I think you are. I think you're the Christ, which means Messiah. Right answer. Jesus, I think you're the fulfillment of all that the prophets spoke about. You transcend all those prophets. You're not one of those prophets. You're the fulfillment of their words. The Messiah sent by God to save men and women from themselves. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You see that? Jesus wants to build his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Nice try, Satan, with COVID. Amen. So the Roman Catholic Church, Amen. the Roman Catholic Church uh, teaches that the rock Jesus speaks of is Peter himself. And that Peter went on to Rome and became the first pope. There's no evidence to support that Peter went on to Rome. Additionally, uh, in the passage that follows, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. And then shortly after that, Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. Not a super solid rock to build the church on, okay? Jesus wasn't referring to Peter as the one that he would build his rock because the church is not going to be built on any man. What Jesus affirms is what Peter says. It's the statement about who Jesus is. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, bingo. Exactly. See, the question isn't, who can I build my church upon? No, the question is, who do people say that I am? That's the question. Peter responds affirmatively, you're the Messiah. 
that's what I'm going to build my church on. That statement right there, who I am and what I came to do. Uh, so when the book of Acts opens up, you see a group of believers that have the mindset of reaching people and advancing the kingdom of God. And they understood God's program for growing the kingdom. We saw the early church baptize 3,000 people in one day. We want to grow in numbers because we want to reach more people for Christ. We have a desire to live out the Great Commission to go and make disciples. This is the reason why God put you on this planet. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go. Or more literally, as you are going, as you're going about your life, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I don't think a church can really follow the, man, the command of Jesus here without having a growth mindset, without the idea that God wants to reach people and he wants to use me to do it. Church growth keeps us from becoming inwardly focused. There are churches that don't have a growth mindset and, and they become you know that little sponge you have sitting on your sink when it stays wet? You ever catch a whiff of that thing? It smells like it's soured. You know why? Because it sits and it soaks, and it never gives out. And it sits and it soaks, and it begins to sour. Some church people are like that. They sit, they soak, and they start to sour. See, churches that have a growth mindset, they're constantly seeing new people come in, and they're they get to witness change lives, transform lives. They're reminded that God is in the business of changing lives. And I was once a sinner saved by grace. And they get to hear the testimony, and they're reminded, this is why God put me here. Growth gives more people the opportunity to serve God. So the question I want us to begin with as we enter into this uh, new stage, every one of us, it's this question. God, what is my role? What do you want for me? More specifically, God, first of all, what do you want to do in me? How do you want to transform me? And maybe you've been a believer for a long time. This is the moment of catalyst for you. Something in your life is going to change that will take you to the next level. But that begins with a heartfelt conversation, a wrestling with God, like I said in the video, pressing in where you're saying, God, what do you want to do in me? You know, I've kind of been in this rut for a while, but I know that you want maturity. What do you want to do in me? And then any, any kind of work that is an outpouring of our lives that has any kind of long-term effect is a result of what God is doing in you first and foremost. So the prayer is, God, what do you want to do in me? And then, God, what do you want to do through me? God, what do you want to do in me? And what do you want to do through me? So to help us answer this question, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture from Mark chapter 4. Jesus actually des describes kingdom growth, and here's, here's how, he, how he says it. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like, okay? This is, this is how things grow within the kingdom of God. It's like a man that scatters seed on the ground, right? Just picture it, right? Jesus, Jesus, tell, Jesus was the ultimate storyteller, so you have to put yourself in. Just picture this farmer, and he's scattering seed on the ground. In order to make this happen, people already assume that he's done the hard work of preparing the soil to receive the seed. 
A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and it grows. But he's kind of scratching his head because he doesn't understand exactly how everything works. All he knows is that it, he does his work, it begins to grow. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he goes back to work. He puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So Jesus uses a farming analogy to explain how the kingdom of God grows. The farmer goes out and he throws some seed after preparing the soil. And then he goes about and does whatever he does, and, and, and things begin to grow. And then he notices, okay, it's time for me to get back to work. we got to harvest what's there. Here's what Jesus is saying. Somehow, someway, God uses human endeavor and his own divine sovereignty. Somehow, in a way that kind of transcends human reasoning, those two things come together and growth occurs. So there is the work on the part of men and women, and then there is God's work, kind of like a couple, like the two pedals on a bicycle. You push one, God pushes the other. You keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and before you know, you're down the road. What he's saying is that God uses you to grow his kingdom. He will always be faithful and play his part. So your work and God's work come together, the kingdom of God grows. So now the question is, what kind of farmer are you? Are you sowing that seed? You know, so then you, if you sow the seed, what the text says, you can expect a harvest. You can expect to reap something in return. Paul makes a similar statement in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but here's the deal. God gave the growth. Paul planted a lot of churches. And then Apollos came around. He was a great orator. He could articulate the things of God well. God uses Paul and Apollos, their efforts, and God causes the growth. It was all up to God, but two humans both played a part in the process. So when individual churches grow numerically and spiritually, what that means is there's great opportunity for kingdom growth. You, you have numerical growth, so that there can be spiritual growth because ultimately we want to make disciples and that is kingdom growth. And if there's one thing we learn through the book of Acts, the church grows because one believer tells an unbeliever about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we could. And well, you know what? I guess we can now. I'd love to have a sign in the parking lot that says, remember, you are entering the mission field. To use a farmer's term, bloom where you're planted. Wherever that is, God has given you a sphere of influence. So here's what we come down to. Purchasing the building means we carry a mortgage, right? But owning the building means we can step into more of our vision, fulfilling more of our vision, specifically those priorities that I laid out for you. And of course, this is gonna take prayer, and it's going to take generosity from our church family. And this generosity begins to grow within us as we grow in our discipleship. Now, the goal, people ask me, what, what is the goal? The goal is to have 100% participation in a transformational way. It's that you would look back over this season and go, let me tell you how God grew my faith. 
Let me tell you how God challenged me. Let me tell you how God messed around in my life in the best possible way. And I'm completely and totally different. I'm in a completely new space. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 talks about being renewed by the transforming of your mind. And that's what we're after, transformational. So I want you to think about what God wants to do in you and then through you. One of my primary um, responsibilities here at the church as a shepherd is to lead you, myself, the rest of the pastoral staff, the ministers, the elders, as shepherds, what shepherds do. First of all, let me say this, good shepherds smell like sheep. So we're at where we are now because we spend a lot of time in close proximity to y'all. We're listening to you. We're getting your feedback. We're bouncing things off of you, okay? Good shepherds smell like sheep. Additionally, shepherds do three things. They lead, feed, and protect the flock. One of the primary ways that I lead the flock with the gifts that God has given me is by opening up the scriptures and saying, this is what the scriptures teach. This is what the scriptures say. So uh, we've been given this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, as for the rich in this present age, and by the way, we're all rich. By the world's standards, we're all rich. It says, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be proud and arrogant. You know, there's this, that's great because there's a sense that, you know, you start, you start accumulating things and you're like, I'm the man. Look what I have done. And Solomon is great because he's probably the wealthiest man who has ever lived. He threw parties that didn't last for a night. He threw parties that lasted for months, months. The party didn't stop for months. That's how wealthy this guy was. Anything he wanted, he got. And he says, don't fool yourself because who do you think gives you the ability to make money? Who gave you that mind? Who gave you those opportunities? See, everything you have comes to you from God. Who, gi who gives you the air that you breathe that sustains your life? Everything you have comes from God. Don't be haughty nor set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, all kinds of good works. We've got people right now who aren't in the service. They're serving the homeless with the mobile kitchen. They're rich in good works. They're generous. They're ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And here's the point, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We have a lot of people, especially in our neck of the woods, that think that acquiring things is the way that you find life. When you're generous with your time, your treasures, your treasures, and your talents, then you find life. And ultimately, God is given praise. Second Corinthians 9, 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. We'll be talking more about the specific needs in a few weeks. But for now, as you leave, will you please make that your prayer? God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do through me? I've been uh, encouraging uh, the entire church family to get involved in a community group, a bigger, smaller, deeper community group, because this is where the real wrestling sets in, <laughs> you know, when you hear from someone else say, how did that sit with you? Well, I don't know, man, God's, God's pressing in on me on this one, you know? That's, that's kind of tough. If you're not involved in a community group and you wanna be, and God wants you to be, come tonight, 
6 o'clock, we provide childcare, making it super, super simple for you. Why? This is an effort to get us all as a church family on the same page. Like I said, what we're after is 100% participation, participation in a way that absolutely transforms you. Now, I want to end by uh, introducing you to a really sweet young couple that exemplifies what we're all about, why we're here, and to remind you once again that God is in the business of changing lives. So, Father, as we leave this place today, God, will you just, will you just not leave us alone? <laughs> will your spirit keep nudging us? As we make that our prayer, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in me? How do you want to transform me? How do you want to change me? How do you want to make me more like Jesus Christ? And then, God, what do you want to do through me? All for your glory, Lord. God, we want to corporately announce our extreme gratitude for all that you've done in our midst. And at the same time, we look forward praying expectantly as the scriptures say, you are capable of doing so much more than we could ever ask or expect or think because you're that big. God, what a joy. How exciting it is to enter into that and be part of it. Thank you for that privilege, we pray. All glory to God. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ who makes it all possible. And God's people said, amen. Early in our relationship, we started to come to Illuminate together. It was such a blessing for us. And now we're nine months married. It's funny how God kind of looped us around and he was intertwining us, not just in our careers, but also he deepened our faith in, in Christ. We wake up around 6 a.m. bright and early. Um, I go to school, and that goes from about 6.30 to 3. Um, despite being busy with our schedules, we're really trying to put our priorities in front of us and make time for each other. She's just so understanding to my work life, and we really would say that that's our faith. I grew up in a Christian home, so I always knew what it was like to go to church, go through the motions of it, but not until later in my life did I really learn what it was like to have a relationship with Christ. This church and hearing God's word through Jason has definitely helped me with that, and now I know what it's like to actually know God. I grew up in faith, but in a, in a Catholic home, and I just thought the actions is what earned your way to heaven. So finding this church, uh, Jason talking about grace and what that meant, I just, I was so, <laughs> yeah. So, my life before Christ was um, meaningless. It, it didn't have a purpose, a drive. Uh, there was no end result except for myself. I was serving myself. And now with Christ in it, I now have so much excitement to look forward to. I think to know what God did for, for us, it's just, it's unbelievable. So, he told me I didn't have to earn it. He said just to follow him. And became my best friend. From that day on, I was, I was eager to tell people just because you've heard of that name, Jesus Christ, 
do you, do you actually have the relationship? Because I know now we do. Jason has been talking about how things are going to get bigger soon in regards to the building and how we're going to be able to expand the space here. We can bring more people in, and by having more people in, we'll have a bigger community to then bring outside the church to reach more people. And who knows, one day it'll have to be even bigger. When it comes to Illuminate and what I'm personally hopeful for is that the church as a whole doesn't stop on the gas pedal. My hope for the church is that the walls keep pressing out and keep reaching more and more people because I want to make sure that we did all we could.